0: Meet all your health goals from the comfort of your home. Get free same-day local delivery or fast free delivery nationwide with code WONDERY today at Squeezed.com. Because mindfulness is like existential honesty. Like what Mm. is really happening? What's happening in my mind? What am I experiencing? Okay, what's a wise way to respond to that? And love is always a wise way to respond to everything that appears.
1: Hey, everybody. It's Ra going back with Mind Rolling and... I have a lovely new guest today, Kevin Griffin. Welcome to Mind Rolling, Kevin. Thanks, Raghu. Thank you so much for having me. And so he has a wonderful book called Living Kindness. And, uh, you know, I I think going back as far, oh, a couple of decades ago, I don't know, whenever His Holiness, the Dalai Lama, there was, you know, it's a bumper sticker, but it mean it meant so much. Which was kindness is my only religion.
0: Yes, and yes, he has said that's a that. great line.
1: Yeah, more than once, many, many times, and so that just struck me, Kevin, to go, okay, yes, and um, in fact, many's a time I myself and and some of my. Cohorts from back in the day, Krishnadas being one of them. If you know who he is, mm, sure. And, uh, and people, you know, they're they're first getting on the path, and it's okay. It's we're Westerners. What's the goal? We're going to get enlightened, right? I don't know how many times either one of us or both of us have said, uh, "Let's try for more loving, more kind, more compassionate." Let's try that. Not, mm. not worry so much about the rest of it but can you I, I just want to hear about your journey to step on that path and you know because we all came from a very conditioned atmosphere childhood society all and right now it's it's of course uh, i can't imagine how children are going up through this uh, mm. but we can talk about that a little later what was your journey well you know, I'm
0: child of the 60s, probably like you, and um, yeah, so uh, as a musician, you know, the music is this, you know, complicated thing in our culture, because it has this spiritual side, but, you know, rock and roll was always associated with this more decadent lifestyle, and and i was kind of pulled in both directions you know i, I wanted to meditate and i wanted well, wait, to wait
1: how did you even get there how did you even know there was a thing called meditation well it's the beatles back. of
0: course <laughs> <laughs> right. and uh, you know george harrison and and the the maharishi and but uh, i kind of got distracted so it took me a decade or so it was the late 70s when i I finally learned TM, mm. and uh, and then uh, a couple of years after that, got into Buddhist meditation, and uh, and that was a real time of searching. So you know the, the there wasn't really this sense of like Buddhism and Hinduism. It was all sort of like blending together, and so I would go and see every guru who came to town. I was mm-hmm. living in L.A. in those days. Mm. And, um, yeah, so uh, there was a lot of, I would say, wandering, (laughs) Uh, you know, some of which was productive. You know, I mean, well, productive isn't quite the right word, right? Some of it led to more helpful places and some of it led to less helpful places. You know, following one sort of guru who sort of took me off the path in a way. Wow. um well wow. but I, you know i got sober in 1985 and things got started to clear up <laughs> a little bit in my brain and in my meditation and my path and eventually you know and the 12 steps are this spiritual journey but they're not buddhist explicitly they aren't maybe implicitly they are. And so, but eventually I kind of started in my own life, started to merge those two things Mm. and started to, um, Mm. you know, develop this kind of Buddhist recovery path. And, Mm. um, and that sort of create for me, created something that was more holistic uh, because I think as you, you talked about I don't know if we were recording then but the about enlightenment and and I had these sort of lofty ideas about enlightenment that weren't very grounded and, mm. and and didn't really allow for either a wholesome life or even like a comfortable life really because you know I was a starving musician most of the time and so sort of getting my life together in practical ways actually allowed my meditation in my spiritual practice to flower as well i think and, and you know it, it's mysterious how it all unfolds isn't it you know mm. it's hard to really kind of go back and say this caused that and that caused that all i know is that <laughs> things started to make sense in a way for me and and my life seemed to come together i guess in the mid late 90s I had gone back to school and got into writing, and and then I was invited to start teaching. I don't know if you know West Nisker. Yes, uh, I know Wes. So Scoop, he's a dear friend of mine. I just went to visit him this morning, and mm. and we had a big event for him at Spirit Rock mm, on Sunday, yeah, c- celebrating his 80th birthday. I got to play some music mm. with him there, and and he was really kind of mentored me to extend, ex- invited me to start to teach to. At his group in Berkeley, um, when he was away teaching retreats, and and so you, you know there there is also something about when you're when you start to teach the Dharma, it takes on more of an urgency. Your own practice takes on an urgency, right? Because now it's not just about you. Mm. You know, it's not like oh, I'm going to get enlightened. It's like oh, I I need to help people and. And I need mm-hmm. to be able to actually make sense. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. be able to explain yeah. something. There yeah. were a lot of things like I thought I knew, but then when I was like, okay, I'll give a talk on the Noble Eightfold Path. And I was like, oh wait, what's on the p- there's mindfulness, concentration, what I better go look it up. You know, so <laughs> yeah. that kind of study and the sense of my practice being for more than me brought it very much alive. And then eventually I wrote a book about. Buddhism in the Twelve Steps. and um, mm. that, uh, that. Yeah, that gave me kind of a, I don't know, an, an audience for sure. Mm. <laughs> uh, this is the first book I've published. Living Kindness is the first book I've published that wasn't about recovery
1: oh, really? explicitly. Oh. You, know? you know, it's uh, talking about Twelve Step, it's, it's amazing how many people Get an initial uh, transformation through this 12 step program. Yeah. It's, uh, uh, I just uh, actually did a podcast with someone who's, who's also turned, yeah, you know, eventually turned to Tibetan Buddhism, actually. Mm-hmm. And, but he came very close to not making it through. I mean, mm-hmm. ended up really, you know, the whole classic story of drugs and on you know down on skid row in LA and the, and coming from you know middle class family you know it doesn't matter really right. i mean he had trauma and that trauma did him in you know he had a traumatic event in his life and that trauma did him in and then he actually you know they go around and they they're the people who care and have organizations that care to try and help homeless people and so on. And they picked him up and he, he was half naked out of it. And he was, they took him the that's where he went aside from cleaning him up and giving him some food and so on. They took him to 12 step. Mm -hmm. And he said that absolutely shook his foundation and allowed him to make a fairly quick, uh, make, make a move to have the intent to to, to transform and to change yeah. this this horrible environment that he had created uh, for himself. Yeah, it's a 12th step. I mean, and I'm not that familiar with it, uh, except yeah. through people and their stories like this yeah. and what you're saying. Yeah, it's a, it's a really
0: interesting process. I mean, when I first engaged in it, I took it very literally, just kind of went through it. And I was saying, even though I'm not really theistic i'm not i'm also not atheistic <laughs> i'm not sure what's in between but um yeah. but i you know I, I followed it but the there was always this piece the 11 step suggest that you meditate right and i was already a meditator and i would go to a meeting where everybody would say okay we're going to meditate for five minutes and I'd be like, five minutes? Okay, well, I'm used to going on like 10-day retreats, but okay, five minutes. And then mm-hmm. the rest of the meeting, yeah. everybody would talk about how hard it was to meditate for five minutes. Yeah. And I was like, hmm, I think there's might be an opening year for me. And and that's one of the things that draws people to my work, as well as the fact that I'm suggesting that the Dharma can be your higher power, uh, rather than praying to some sort of Abrahamic uh, God, you know, power, um, but but the that the Dharma itself is powerful
1: and and provides all you need for turning your will and your life over to mm-hmm. the Dharma. You know, I'm not sure how much you do know about our legacy of Neem Karoli Baba, Ramdas's uh, guru. I'm guru. pretty familiar, yeah. yeah. So what it ended up, you know, and I've talked about this quite a bit, and it's just, it's represented most strongly by... Uh, the years that Ram Dass was in Maui, and we held these retreats a couple of mm. times a year there, and always they they were accompanied. Uh, he was accompanied. He and Krishnadas basically were accompanied by many of our mutual Buddhist friends who yeah, have sure. been friends with us and with Ram Das for, for a long time. And it really, so we've started to, you know, look at this and say, okay, what, what does this really represent here? You know, because we're talking about Talk about theistic. We were introduced Mm -hmm. to a monkey God, okay, right? Of course. And Christ, you know, which a lot of us were Jewish, so that was also like, (laughs) what, really? Right. Um. So you know that that legacy uh, included also us somehow. Without He never said to do anything, nothing. Meditate, nothing. He'd have fun with it. It was mostly felt like He was sending us. Just to get rid of us because we were pesky little hippies mm-hmm. so but we all ended up doing the meditation, which is where yeah. we met Jack Joseph Sharon, you know all yeah. of the other people by the way that are on be here now network that you yeah. can take advantage of um and so that combination of this is how it feels to me of mm-hmm. of, of just the The heart that Ram Dass most significantly addressed, you know, with and at the end of his life, it was all about loving awareness, moving into a place where you're not caught in your story and your thoughts and and all of it and moving into that place, which is beyond judgment, which is an expanded place that has some, as the Buddhists would call it, um, relative connection to empty, empty of me, me, me land. And so that combination, I think, um, I, I'm happy a to be part of it, and it's done a, you know, it's it's been extraordinary for me in these number, last decades. Uh, but I think to share that with people, that combination, anyhow, I yeah. Really, uh,
0: well, and you know, it's often been sort of observed that just doing strict vipassana meditation kind of has this dry quality mm-hmm, to it at yeah. a certain point you kind of get to a place where it's like okay everything is empty uh and and the the heart piece is really what's what completes it yeah. i mean for for me miracle of love was a book that really just mm-hmm. opened me so much just mm-hmm. just the, the simple stories and and it you know it's it's stepping out of your you know western scientific mechanical kind of mind and stepping into that mystery. I mean, Nim Karoli Baba really embodied that and just like invited you in. It felt like from mm-hmm. just the the reading that I've done about him and the stories I've heard, and yeah. and that was always really important for me mm-hmm. um that. You know, I needed to have that place. It's a refuge, right? The heart mm. is a refuge from mm. the mind in a way, you know, that yeah. sometimes we just really need to step out of all that stuff that's, you know, running through the mind. Just remember, oh, just, yeah, to love myself, to love others, to, to love this breath, to love this, you know, dog that's barking on the <laughs> next mm-hmm. door neighbor and just...
1: Yeah, just to uh, drop all the all that noise and story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, and the book is full, uh, very f- fulfilling, very filling with mm-hmm. the heart. I must mm-hmm. say, and and of course related around metta, loving kindness practice, yeah. which I am. Very familiar with uh, because being close to Sharon Salzberg for many many yeah, years, sure. uh, she is the uh, the most famous proponent of this practice in in the West. But then you yeah. start off this chapter one, <laughs> may I be happy? Subtitle: Loving yourself. So for me, it just triggered this thing, like the first. Spiritual guru type that I ever encountered was Mayor Baba. I'm not sure Uh you know Mayor Baba. Yeah, yeah. And it was nothing but a poster somebody Mm -hmm. put up right with that beautiful smiling face. Don't worry, be happy. Mm -hmm. Okay, I where do I sign up for this? This is uh, exactly so. This just triggered. May I be happy? And uh, you know, I like how you talk about. Um, i don't like myself any more than any other people like themselves <laughs> right. but the the one thing to remember is i do know myself better than most other people All almost right. everyone else right. in, in my own experience the only person who uh, the, who knew me better was named Karoli papa mm, right uh, and you could see that with many people which is really a wild thing to to, uh, to consider um but i th- you know the the first that indicates, like, knowing we know ourselves, and yeah. to me, mindfulness is such an important um, method. It's also overused and maxed out, and it's it's right. like, yeah, oh, yeah, we're all going to become better, you know, stockbrokers because we're right. going to be more, mind, you know, it's all that. But that's mm-hmm. the West. That's us. That's us so, humans. That's how we yeah. deal with stuff. Yeah but the reality as the buddha put it uh you know all those uh, many years ago uh the way in which we can address the as you put it uh, the uh, impatience irritability prejudices uh, delusions moodiness self-centeredness <laughs> I mean we could go on and you know and mm-hmm. how about really awful motivations (laughs) and manipulations and so on. So certainly maybe you can talk about you just for people, you know, we have a lot of listeners here that, that understand and know about, you know, the teachings of Buddha, the, the (laughs) four noble truths and the eightfold path and have some basic understanding or some people just get the idea of what the Buddha represented just him. But, um, I always like to share the things that can help get our lives a little bit more in balance, just get get to that place yeah. without having you know extensive knowledge of of right. the intricate teachings that Buddhism does represent. Yeah. So yeah, mindfulness.
0: Yeah, so you know, I think what I was trying to do here was to get convey the challenges of trying to do this because you know when you put out an idea of oh love everybody well okay sometimes I can feel that you know on, on my good days but what about when I'm not feeling it or 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 yeah when I sit down and and try to do love for myself and and really kind of talk people through a little bit um how to how to be a little bit more at ease with themselves and that and you know because if we're gonna love others, we need to start with ourselves if we're if we're tr- just loving everybody else and not ourselves, that's like codependence it's not really love mm-hmm. it's mm. it's trying to get something from them so you know I take this kind of approach, I guess. I mean, uh, you know, uh, people accuse me of being negative sometimes, so I'm not the typical spiritual teacher, uh, uh, which is why I start out by, you know, talking about my own challenges. But uh, just as you're saying... What do they mean, negative? Well, because I don't... Well, I don't... What do they mean? (laughs) You'd have to ask them. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, the... That I'm not going to start out by saying, like painting a rosy picture Mm -hmm. of Mm -hmm. myself or of of human. uh, I I don't like the term human nature, but human habits, Mm -hmm. Um, and, and try try to be really honest about that, and then work through it. Which, as you say, mindfulness is is the only way to get there because mindfulness is like existential honesty. Like, what Mm. is really happening? What's happening in my mind? What am I experiencing? Okay, what's a wise way to respond to that? And love is always a wise way to respond to everything that appears. But what is, you know, love has this frilly idea to it. So I've sort of I, I actually now define love as care. So caring for myself. Rather, because love myself sounds like I have to like like myself. Like, oh, I'm a really good person. And I, you know, like when, like teachers will say, well, I shouldn't I characterize this. But sometimes I'll hear people say, think of one nice thing you did today. And right away, or, you know, right away, all I can think about is all the <laughs> Bad things I did or yeah, bad thoughts. Right. You know, <laughs> soon so as you say that, yeah. Instead, dark. it's dark. I'm, I'm not going to try to like make myself feel good about myself, like myself, think, but rather just take care of myself. If I'm taking care of myself, I'm loving myself. If I take care of my child or my partner or my friends or the or the earth, that's love. It it's not a, so. I guess the problem that I'm, I'm addressing to a great extent is the problem of is of love as a feeling versus love as an action and so that that's why the book is called living kindness mm. because acting out of love and is to me more meaningful than feeling it you know i i can feel love for someone and it doesn't do them any good <laughs> necessarily and i can Maybe if I don't feel it, I want to still be able to express it because sometimes my emotions are all, you know, feelings are impermanent. So I can't hold on to a feeling of love, you know, perpetually, but I can be devoted to actions of love. So, I mean, uh, you know, on this, you know, because of your background, I think of the the Seva Foundation, Mm. you know, was like, oh, how can we help people in India, you know? Well, gee, we could s- say prayers for them. Well, that's nice. That's great. But how about if we actually tried to help people who go blind? You know, how about if we actually tried to, you know, mm-hmm. do service for them? You know, the Buddhist global relief mm-hmm. that Bhikkhu Bodhi started. He was asked by his students, how can we help the world? And he didn't say, well, let's go out and teach everybody how to meditate. He said, the worst form of suffering is hunger. Let's try to serve people with food. Mm. So to me, that? this is the starting okay. point is act, living with kindness, acting, caring for ourselves, caring mm. even when we don't feel it. Even when I'm really angry with my child that I still take care of them, mm. which is loving them.
1: Yeah. So what was the name of, of that uh, person you just mentioned who started B- that?
0: Bhikkhu Bodhi. Bhikkhu Bodhi. Oh yeah, Bhikkhu Bodhi. He's a he was a he's a Buddhist monk uh, from Brooklyn, <laughs> but uh, he spent many years in Sri Lanka and translated uh, a great many of the Buddhist texts that the Pali Canon. Mm-hmm. And you know all all the now Insight teachers study his the the things that he translated, and he came back to the U.S. I think probably about 15 years ago. And, you know, he made this big pivot from being this scholar to being someone who was much more engaged in service in the world and founded Buddhist Global Relief. Um, wow. He's he quite a that. wonderful teacher. If you ever had a chance to uh-huh. interview him, it'd be, he'd be a great, great person. I mean, of course, Joseph, Joseph and Jack and Sharon
1: are all, you know, devotees. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely, and you know someone who uh, more on the Zen side, Bernie Glassman, yeah, Roshi Bernie yeah. Yeah. did a lot of that action, yeah. Yeah. taking action in in the on the material plane to help people. You know. Well, his his street retreats sounded really yeah. amazing.
0: Where they would just go and live on the street in New York. Oh, you want to see what it's like to yeah. be a.
1: You know, an almost mendicant. Okay, yeah. here you go. Yeah, yeah. Ramdas actually did a couple of those with uh-huh. They were they were good friends. Oh uh, yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, back to mindfulness, actually, because you said one word, which to me is a is a byword for mindfulness. Without it, you're just bullshitting yourself. Yeah, and that's honesty.
0: Yeah.
1: And, you know, so the practice of mindfulness is the practice of look, you know, first of all, pause, breathe, slow down, and then look inside. And you can see the plethora of uh, defilements and (laughs) wrongheaded bullshit and... It's not easy to be honest. That's one of the things actually, uh, obviously, everybody who listens to this podcast knows my past with Ramdas and so on. But that was one of the most important things upon meeting him and then listening to him talk and, and all of that was self-honesty. Yeah. Yeah. And it made it available for us to, to do the one thing that you need to be honest, and it's Jack talks about it a lot, jack cornfield and and that is it's okay yeah. to be human right we're okay, we're going to screw up it's okay that allows more honesty would you agree to creep into the practice so it's so important
0: uh, you know uh, I got that from Ram Das as well, you know when when I read him and saw him speak and listen to him his his humanity and just being okay with with being himself out front about it mm-hmm. really was important for me and and that's that's something that I consider vital as a teacher uh, it's beautiful when a teacher is enlightened and they can inspire you with their presence and and just being so, such a sort of lofty being, but sometimes it can feel inaccessible. And and mm-hmm. I've, there have been times when I've been around teachers that they weren't, they didn't do it to me, I did it to myself, that I compared myself to them and then feel, felt less than, mm. you know, and, and because that's one model of teaching Buddhism is that you're supposed to get up there and be a Buddha or be a representative of the Buddha. Mm. And that's kind of, I think a traditional Asian model maybe, yeah. maybe, but, but um for me, that was always really hard. I mean, I, I would get very inspired, but I would also, there'd a little bit, you know, I'd kind of walk away feeling like, well, I'll never be as good as them. Mm. So, so that, that willingness to be honest. And frankly, where I learned that for myself, where I developed that capacity, was in AA meetings (laughs) because in AA, you know, you, you have to be honest, but I discovered how freeing it was to be able to talk about my failings or my mistakes or Mm -hmm. my confusion in front of a group of people who were supportive and understood and cared and, and got it because they too were human, but, you know, particularly, you know, addicts and alcoholics, we're especially human, you know, especially Mm -hmm. flawed and have, you know, typically a history that's, that's, can be pretty painful and and shameful. And then to be able to share it uh, and just realize, oh, you know, it's just human. Um, It's just human. And uh, uh, really addicts are, you know, no different from anyone else. It's just that, that, you know, they had a problem that, they needed that particular support, but but you realize that that um just not having to protect yourself, this is like about ego, right? And then you realize, oh, this is just this is the whole thing about the story and being caught in your own, you know, don't let anybody know this about me. Mm-hmm. And 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 all of a sudden you're you're in a box and you can get into a spiritual box, right? It's a very you know, sometimes you go to spiritual groups and, and everybody's walking around being so holy <laughs> that that you can start to feel like, I don't know, are these people real? I, uh, you know, maybe I'm being hard on people,
1: but... Uh, <laughs> no, <laughs> not at all.
0: You, so you, wonder, you, that's you know what I'm talking about. Yes,
1: yes, it's endemic again to our culture. Yeah, and. Yeah and being human, and our proclivities are as such. Uh, So, um, but, uh, yeah, I think the few things that just came through here around honesty and mindfulness, uh, you know, are extremely important for people. And uh, what about, you know, in in the book, it's, uh, At different points in the book, you like will mention Buddha's direct teaching Mm -hmm. from the Satipatthana Sutras or whatever. Yeah. And then you'll say, well, this might be a little bit of a reach here given (laughs) our um, contemporary society, that maybe I'll put it a little different, you know, um, which I really did appreciate because I do think, um, you know, that. We can set up an impossible yeah. reach. Yeah. By virtue of 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 of, uh, we are in a completely different era. We are a, a completely different society. We these things need to be, shall we say, transformed for where we are, who we are now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Speak to that because you did in the book.
0: Yeah. Well the I'm a great fan of the suttas, the early Buddhist earliest that we know of, Buddhist teachings. And you know, they they are uh I mean they're very profound, but at times they are very lofty and you mm. lofty. and and they're spoken to <laughs> often to monastics as well. Mm. And we also know, like, they were in a, in a language that's, we don't, you know, it's a dead language, so we don't really know exactly what he meant at times. So you're kind of faced with this question, am, am I going to try to just get the what does this literally mean? Or am I going to try to, you know, bring into something that makes more sense for me. Well, obviously I want it to make sense for me, but there's always that risk of, Oh, I'm just going to kind of smooth out the edges so that it feels good to me. So we have to be very careful how we approach this. I think that we're on the one hand, we're not just being kind of rigid and, and following some literal translation, but, uh, but also that we're not drifting too far away from it. So, I mean, that's, this is why, of course, for any of it to be meaningful, we have to have our own meditation practice. So that really what I think we're trying to do is compare our inner experience to the words that we're hearing from the Buddha and then try to make some sense of that. And, and of course, the big problem with that is that there are no words that can actually express our inner experience. It's always from a distance. So and and then the Buddha, on top of this, the Buddha was probably, you know, one of the best meditators in human history. So when he talks about the mind, I'm not sure like if I can get to where he's talking about, even if I Knew exactly what he was saying, Mm -hmm. so all of that creates this tension. I think, and and I'm I'm always in this. uh, You know, I always find myself in this place where I don't want to beat myself up for not being a good enough meditator or not living up to the Buddha's, you know, instruction, but I also don't want to just kind of be slipshod about the whole thing and like oh this is good enough so it it, it's playing with this this kind of tension which is Mm -hmm. you know in buddhist terms about right effort right and and always always the question if you're striving well then you're just creating more suffering but if you're just sitting back you know hanging out you're not really changing anything. So this is the dance, right? As a meditator. And it requires mindfulness to pay attention in every moment. Like, what is the energy? What is the edge of my effort right now? Am I pushing too hard? Am I laying back too much? And so we're always in this dance. And and it's got to be informed by love. Mm -hmm. If there's love there, if you're... As, he, as you said, that you know, Ram Das is for his loving awareness, then we're safe, you know, cause we're, because it's always going to be done with care
1: mm. and kindness. I go back to motivation again, yeah. you know, because really with this practice, with, with some meditative practice, and of course, you and I would both suggest vipassana as being the most efficacious one. And I've done a whole bunch of them. And it doesn't mean I don't do, I do Japa, which is the Hindu thing Mm -hmm. using mantras with beads, you know, chanting, it's all meditation. Yeah. Um, So, uh, you know, that's, that's true as well. But, um, the, the grounding that you get with a meditative practice and the ability to look inside clearly and honestly, at these motivations, all the way down to, well, let's see, this morning it's not really going too well, I'm so distracted, uh, you know, and these thoughts that you start to believe in and then you, you hopefully, not hopefully, I do believe, and if people ask me, where did you get after all these decades of practice in it, <laughs> right. it's just not following that thought the way I quickly would have in the past. Yeah. Not having uh, having much more spaciousness around it, meaning I'm not going to take it that seriously. It's okay, and just go back to the breath, as Sharon has said a, a billion times. The beauty of the human incarnation is we can always go back, mm-hmm. however lost we might get. Yes. So, uh, yeah. So very, uh, yeah. That's that's uh, that that central guiding post of mindfulness for us on a day-to-day basis is uh is tremendously important and then you you talk about something else that's dear to our hearts in terms of our own well this isn't any news uh, actually the buddha when he was asked by ananda maybe his um closest person monk uh He talked about the three refuges, refuge, the refuge in the Buddha, in the Dharma, and in the Sangha. And uh, Buddha asked him what was the most important, and he said, Sangha, I believe. Mm -hmm. And Buddha said that that was so far and above the most important of the refuges, and uh, in our own experience and how we were led into it when we went to India and met Neem Karoli Baba and Ramdas and I and all the others who followed him back over there that second time, that got created immediately. And of course, Indian families, which Maharaji sent us to his closest devotees that lived nearby, and we spent so much time with them and viewing this sense of of community, family uh, interconnectivity, uh, all of it that, um, that has just been a through line to what we do now, you know, in our retreats and our community gatherings and so on. And, uh, just let me quote you, the example of living together puts a particular clarity on the issue of how we get along with others. But the broader point is the question of how we blend Like in milk and water with other people. Yeah, because you, you, for the way I see it is you have like-minded people, satsang sangha, and you're able to interact with them and really let go of your defenses and find that place where we all are part of the one then you're taking it out into the world where it's not quite like-mindedness. Right. And, and I love the, yeah, how do we blend like milk and water with other people? This is a central question for anyone. As social beings, humans need and depend on interaction, yet preferences, tendencies, and habits of behavior can easily put us into conflict. A wild understatement right there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, in whatever social context we are operating, we need to find ways to harmonize or we will suffer. Mm. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, the, it's interesting the different ways that the Buddha kind of approaches this question. But one of them is that, or this point, one of them is that the only way you're going to become exposed to the Dharma is through another person, whether it's written down or spoken. And so that's always the starting point of the path. Mm -hmm. And then he says, and if you are with people, as you're saying, like-minded people, then they're going to encourage you. You're all going to be encouraged to, behave skillfully to create good karma together and you're you're going to talk about the Dharma so you know this being conversations about the Dharma as he said you know and and you're going to hear the Dharma and and so it's this whole sort of building process right of of community that that uh, creates all these circumstances for the Awakening. You know that that comes out of that, and uh, and yeah, it's this is one of the problems that Buddhism in the West has faced, that we are an individualistic society. Mm. And so we have this idea of the heroic you know hermit living out in the mountains and you know, f- taking care of them, you know, just becoming enlightened by themselves. And it's not how it is. I mean, the Buddha was in community almost his entire life. There was just a, that brief period when he went off and sat under the Bodhi tree when he was already ripe for enlightenment. And sat under the Bodhi tree, whether it was like 40 days or so many weeks or, you know, whatever, we don't know the exact time frame. But it wasn't, it wasn't years. It was at most months. That he went off, and then he immediately came back to community. And then for the next 45 years, he was with the sangha that just grew and grew and grew. Mm. So this idea, this very Western idea of, oh, we should pull ourselves up by the bootstraps. and I mean, my goodness, you know, it's just such a, a it's just such a, unhelpful idea I mean we're yeah. about misery everybody gets their own little you know studio apartment and lives on their own and has their little you know frozen dinner for one and
1: you know and it's not it's not life it's not human it's mm, you know. I know look look what we have done yeah. in the west particularly I mean still when I go to India I was there last fall I mean it's the reality of the family there and the interconnectivity of people and how they act, I mean, it's just, it, it has not stopped. Yes, there's a lot of big-time BS abuse that happens through, you know, through the, I mean, Maharaji, spent, he, he was completely against caste system and he, and yeah. he, he yeah. focused on that, you know. Right. So, but what we do here with individuality, yeah, which is to me. It's it's really a large part of the creation of the polarization that we're in right yeah. now. Yeah. So
0: yeah, it was interesting. Last week I was over at UC Berkeley where they have a mindfulness club that I visit and teach from time to time, and uh, it's it's really lovely because you know it's college students trying to learn mindfulness. You know we mm. don't have enough of that, but there was a student who was visiting from Hong Kong. And after the class, she was walking down the hall with me and chatting and asking me some questions. And I noticed that she was standing very close to me and like speaking. And and then I remembered hearing that, oh, in like China and Japan, people don't have the same sense of physical space because there's so many more people (laughs) that, you know, there's just sort of like, it's okay to be upright. Whereas we're always kind of like, oh, give me my space, man. Like, leave me alone. Oh, it it's very funny, you know. I yeah. was like, well, this is funny the way she's standing so close to me. Oh, and then yeah. I realized, yeah.
1: Oh my! You just triggered a memory for me, which is not a pleasant one, but I'm oh. going to share it because it really points. It's not. It's not the end of the world, but <laughs> I went on a a pilgrimage in India with. We had three mentors. And this particular mentor, his name was Casey Tuari. We just actually put a film out, a documentary about him, because he was the most extraordinary medit. We're talking about meditators. He went into no pulse, no breath, mm-hmm. samadhi at the just the drop of a hat. It went, it's just the inspiration. He just like Ramakrishna kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Anyhow, so he was assigned to take care of the Maharaji. Said you take care of the westerners. The day before he left, before he died. So I, we went yeah. up uh, on a pilgrimage, actually, with my mother. It was a beautiful experience, up wow. through the mountains, the Himalayas, to temples, and 8th century temples, you know, all of it. And we were staying somewhere in, a, I think, a government guest house. And my mother had a room, and I had gotten, he didn't know this, but I got three rooms. It was kind of place was half empty. So we're sitting there and had dinner and did, meditated, whatever we were doing, and then... I said, "Okay, we should we should go go to bed." He said, "Oh, this is you sleep right here." I go, "No, no, I have another room. <laughs> I wanted my own room. Right? It was so Im- embedded." And talk about it. It's, we're human. I still have regrets that I actually went. Th- and this was a big room. There were big rooms. It wasn't like you know that I actually. You know, cop to that crazy Western thing of we have our own space, right? And we're going to protect the shit out of that space, <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, Anyhow, yeah, yeah,
0: uh, I'm familiar but, with that. Yeah, yeah, right. I mean, the retreat centers, you know, one of the retreat centers I teach, they don't have, they have like three single rooms and all the rest is dorms. And mm. boy, people, people want those singles.
1: Oh, yeah, we know all about it for our retreats as well yeah yeah yeah, um concomitant to the uh the the idea that uh, so we have mindfulness and we have community, both of which to me are uh, basic practices that we we really uh it's advantageous to take part in, shall we say um and then you talk about basically um You call it the choice to be generous and kind. And this, to me, is the essence of, I think, what you're trying to put across in this book, using, of course, many of the Buddha's own words and explaining them out. But to be generous and kind, the choice to be attentive to others' needs, and I always quote Simone Weil, the most generous act that we can make is to give complete attention to another human being and um, the choice to be of service while selfishness and rudeness don't necessarily break precepts they might as well because they have the same effect harming others Mm -hmm. this is a a very powerful potent it's just a a couple of sentences Mm -hmm. so I really appreciate that Kevin, I, I just had to uh, certainly a big part of what our legacy is, is around yeah. service. Yeah. And Ram Dass did, you know, represented that in his life profoundly. And yeah. uh, it, when the first moment that we got to Kenshi, where Nimkaroli Karoli Baba was, that was inimitable. Nobody, because I asked you about that, um, the bhikkhu you were talking about, bodhi, Um, Yeah. yeah. And his thing about let's feed people, you know, that was the first thing that happened when we went there. Nobody left that temple without food. Nobody, you know, and that persisted the whole time, you know, I I was, I was there and for everybody over, you know, a three year period. So service and, and it, it, um, It breaks you out of this this the self-centered me thing, yeah. which is endemic for all of us. Yeah. You know. Um I just recently heard his holiness uh talk about uh, through you know Dan Harris who does that ten yeah. percent happy. Oh, yeah, thing. sure. Yeah. yeah. So he went and he saw his holiness recently, I, I think. I listened to those, yes. Yeah. Yes. And you heard him talk about why selfishness to the woman. <laughs> Uh, well that concept though, right. right. wise, wise selfish. selfishness yeah uh, it's all about as soon as you do that act of compassion that act of giving that act of you stop thinking about yourself so in that way you are enhancing your life yeah. that's why it's why wise, wise selfishness you yeah. you know you're you're doing this you realize this is a two way street that whatever you're giving is coming back. It's like one circle and so on. So, yeah. Um, but you know,
0: it's a, it's a key element of 12 step work too. And kind we'll go of, back there. Eh? That's amazing. Well, it, you know, it, it's interesting because, you know, what they said, the twelfth step says, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to others. And, and that's taken as not just carrying a message, but being of service and, yeah, at, at, because being of service is getting out of yourself. And what's your, your biggest problem is yourself. So, anyway, you can get out of yourself. I mean, that's one of the reasons people like to escape, right? Mm-hmm. Is to get out of themselves. But yeah. and that's not always a constructive thing. But, you know, I had the, I remember in my early retreats that they would have sign ups to do service on the retreat to, you know, do dishes or chop vegetables or something. Mm. And I was like, oh man, why would I do that? Like, I need, I want to be meditating. I don't want to be, you know, working in the kitchen. <laughs> and, yeah, right. You know, and it was like so thick headed. And, and then I was on one retreat where one of my teachers was sitting the retreat and I saw him doing dishes. And I said, why is he doing the dishes? You know, and then I finally forget. the next retreat I signed up and I was mm-hmm. like, oh, this is like the most fun I had on the retreat was cleaning the, the toilet on the bath, on the retreat. You know, yeah. it was like, oh, I got out of myself. Oh, I wasn't thinking about me. I wasn't trying to concentrate on my breath again. I was just, you know, doing something that was not about me. So, it's very freeing. Mm it doesn't yeah. have to be, I think sometimes people hear the term, you know, do service and they think they have to join, you know, Doctors Without Borders or something and they, you know, they have to do something heroic. And, mm. and again, it can be the simplest thing, you know, it can be just the simplest gesture. Yeah. You know? and, well, and as you said, just being able to pay attention to someone is the yeah. greatest gift.
1: Yeah. You know? Um. Well, one thing we've talked about meta, loving kindness, and and this is, uh, as I said before, I believe a through line throughout the book. But since we're we're close to the end of our uh, podcast, I wondered if you might lead us in a you know just a few minute uh, meta meditation. Yeah, would love to. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> mm.
0: Ah, so. Wherever you are, if you can, close your eyes. But if you're listening to this in your car, please keep your eyes open and just feeling your breath and your heart. Sense of your heart opening and softening. One of the simplest and most beautiful instructions the Buddha gives is that we should radiate kindness over the entire world. So one image to play with is that there's a golden beam of light that radiates out from your heart, the light of loving kindness. So imagine yourself first being filled with this light, bright, warm, caring, filled with loving kindness. And then this light, this golden beam of light from your heart spreads out throughout your home, out into your neighborhood or wherever you are if you're driving you can imagine the the loving kindness spreading to all the other drivers all going somewhere and we radiate loving kindness out to all beings humans, animals the seen and the unseen those living near and far away says the Buddha. Loving kindness radiating across the planet, through the oceans, across the land, touching all beings everywhere, all beings filled with the golden light of loving kindness. Finally seeing the Entire planet illuminated with the golden light of loving kindness. The planet itself healed. Care we care for our own planet. Loving the planet itself. May all beings be free from suffering. May all beings be filled with loving kindness. All
1: right. But, uh, Kevin, in in the book, I just want to close with uh, what what you say is one of the most revered uh, quotations, shloka, shall we say, in the Pali canon, and uh, here it is. Even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings. Yeah, my favorite. Yeah, I mean, everybody can relate to that. Yeah. Um, I, I, in fact, I tell the story first meeting Ramdas, and he's there was no Ramdas, there was no Richard. He was able to just set up a, a beautiful space in within which was tremendous trust and unconditionality, mm-hmm. and only my mother, I, my only other experience of the up to that point was my mother. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, and what His Holiness says, our whole future is based on compassionate mothers who transfer that into their children who will go out and and help transform this world. Yeah. So, yeah, this Beautiful. is a wonderful thing. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah. Kevin, and um, we're going to have links in the show notes. People so can get the book and what's the other book called? Uh, around the combination of 12 step and yeah. buddhism. Yeah. One breath at a time
0: is my Okay. That's my first book, my most popular
1: one. Yeah. Yeah, one breath at a time and uh, yeah, everybody you'll be able to hook up with what Kevin does. I know you're on the Bay Area it sounds yes, like. Yes,
0: I yeah. am and I I'm on Zoom. I have Zoom classes regularly. Mm. My website is just net, so people can easily find me.
1: Okay, perfect. We'll have all of that available to people. So again, thank you very much. This is...
0: uh, Thank you for having me. It was really great to talk with you.
1: Yeah, same here, same here. This is Mind Rolling on Be Here Now Network. Go to beherenownetwork.com and catch all of uh, Kevin and my buddies, basically. (laughs) All of our wonderful community. from Jack Cornfield to Sharon Salzburg to Roshi Joan Halifax and on Krishnas, Ramdas, Alan Watts. Uh, the OGs. Ramdas right. and Alan Watts, the OGs. And we'll we'll see you next week. Bye, everybody. Thank you, Kim. Yeah. Thanks so much.